This is FBG Jen. And FBG Kristen. And I'm FBG Margot, host and producer. You're listening to the podcast that will help you keep a lid on the junk in the trunk and inspire you to live a happy and confident life. Each episode, we chat with motivational experts and celebs and share our own candid adventures in being healthy. If you're looking for a podcast that's equal parts hilarious and enlightening, well then welcome to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Love My Skivvies, a monthly subscription service for undies that are as cute as they are comfy. And ladies, these are designed for workouts and your everyday life. Just pick your size and your style, and you'll never have to think about what's in your panty drawer again, because badass women need panties that live up to our adventures. Now, let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Fit Bottom Girls podcast. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Jen. Hey. And we have FBG Kristen. Hola. Hola. So we are talking with Kyle Hep today. She is a an international wedding photographer. She lives in Santiago, Chile with her daughter and her baby daddy. And she's a fantastic interview. And one thing I really enjoyed was just her views about motherhood. It's very FBG. It's you do you. That's her philosophy. And I just loved it. And, and Jen, so I just wanted to kind of get your ideas of like, what does motherhood mean to you and, and fitness and everything else? Yeah. So I was super bummed. I can't remember why, but I could not make this interview. And I was super bummed because I'd been on her website and I was like, oh, she is like, she is, she is speaking to my soul. This whole like you do you thing is so awesome. Cause like as a mom and as a non-mom, as we were kind of talking about a little bit off the air here, there's just, there's a lot of opinions out there about what you should be doing and how you should be living your life and how you should be raising your kids or how you should be having kids or how you shouldn't be having kids. There's just a lot of opinions. <laughs> and the whole phrase of just like, you do you and I'm going to do me kind of thing is so refreshing. And I think it is becoming, I mean, I'm not saying it's like uh, common because I don't think it is, but I think it's getting a little bit more that way. And I think she's one of those voices that's really having a really strong, you know, opinion on parenting and how there is, there is really, it's kind of what we do on Fit Bottom Mamas a little bit. It's like, there is no right way to do it. Like, yeah, sure. Don't beat your kids. Like, I think we can all agree that's not okay. Okay. But, um, you know, like fine child fine. abuse ruled out. Okay. Right. You know, you have to feed them and diaper <laughs> them and okay. But beyond that, as long as everyone is like safe, then mind your own freaking business. Like it breastfeeding, not breastfeeding, breastfeeding in public, what you feed your kids, like how you decide to raise your kids, whether that's, you know, conscious parenting or sleeping through the night or cry it out or whatever. Like you are the you are the expert on your kid and no one else knows your kid and your family and your circumstances and your needs as a mother like you do and everyone's doing the best they freaking can and nobody it's kind of the same sort of thing where you don't know what someone else is going through mm -hmm. you know the person in the elevator who cusses you out or something like you don't know what else they're dealing with no one knows you know your personal things sometimes that you're dealing with so everyone just stay in their own freaking lane <laughs> you yeah. do you and then I think what's super cool is that that message, that you do you philosophy applies so well to not just motherhood, but everything else. It, reply, it applies really, really well. I mean, it's kind of like the comparison trap, but it compares really well in fitness. You know, like you do the workout that you do. I'm going to do the workout that I do. Mm -hmm. Food, because there's nothing more annoying than, you know, someone giving 
so much unsolicited <laughs> advice or like trying to convince you to do something that you you, you don't really have an interest in, you yeah. know, when what you're doing is working for you. I mean, sure, try new things, see different perspectives, but like, don't be pushy about your stuff. It's cool. I don't eat gluten. Don't convince me. I'm, I don't think that you should not eat gluten. I'm just right. doing me. You know, like it's not really about anyone else but you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that's that's interesting with Kyle is, you know, it, in addition to being, you know, this international photographer, she's an entrepreneur. She's, you know, she started a CrossFit gym and um, built it up, got it su- successful, sold it. She's now the face and person behind a um, software startup that she and her boyfriend are, are working on together. And, you know, she's really candid about like, here are the things that are working for me in order to like make my dreams come true the best that I can. And here's how we're including our daughter in this and trying to give her the best life that we can. But she's not shy about saying like, sometimes I just need time for me. And, you know, I think it's really powerful to to put that out there and say, like, as a mom, as a woman, as a business owner, like, I have these other these other needs and here's what I need in order to meet them. And here's the support that I would like. And seeing, you know, seeing a strong woman do that, I think, helps other women who are feeling guilty about having those needs. It kind of just gives you a little bit more I don't know, maybe a little more power to feel like, oh yeah, I do get to ask for that or I do get to request that. And it is okay to feel this way. To It is okay to not feel like I should be devoting, you know, every last ounce of energy to this one thing and making everything else like not even a priority. It's funny because before we started recording, Margot brought up the Ali Wong. What is the name of the, the second comedy special? Do you remember? No, I don't. Margo? Sorry. I'm blanking on it, but it's not the it's not Baby Cobra. It's like the one that comes after that. It's on Netflix now. And she talks about how, and it, she talks about a lot of really funny things about motherhood, but one of the things she says is like, you know, if like the bar for dads is like so low in society, it's like if a dad even changes, like is seen changing a couple diapers or out alone with, you know, his child, it's like, oh my gosh, confetti everywhere. He's amazing. You know, but you see moms do that stuff all the time, all the time. Yeah. And it's like, she's like, where's my freaking confetti? Like, you know, I just, this baby just crapped in my face. Like, where's my Oh yeah. She confetti? talks about that. Yeah. It's, it's hard knock wife. That's, yeah, that's yes, the name yes, of her special. It. And she's pregnant yes. with her second child. And I've never had a kid. And Kristen's never had a kid, but I, I can tell you guys, even if you don't have kids, you're going to laugh your butt off. She is so hilarious. And it's it's so, I love it when people peel back the layers and like, nope, this is the reality. You know, yeah. this is what being a wife is and a mother it's, and stuff like that. Everything. I and love that's, it. that's why I think Kyle's message is so poignant because it's like, you know, guys aren't having to kind of like fight to be themselves after they have a kid, but like women in society kind of, you, you, you really do kind of have to fight to continue to have your identity because all of a sudden the, your role as mother is like so big, you know, and that's kind of what everyone expects. So I think like her and a lot of, actually a lot of millennial moms too, are kind of paving that way for motherhood to be seen in a different way and for mothers to be seen in a different way. And for us not to actually have to feel guilty about saying, Hey, I'm going to take time and this is what I'm doing for my family. And this is what I'm doing for myself. And my relationship with myself is just as important as 
the one with my child and the one with my husband and the one with my family and the one with my friends. I think, I think it's really cool. She's great. And she also talks about sexism and she's like going through a round of funding for this new project that she's doing with her boyfriend. And my friend, actually, Christina, she is partnering with a man and they're coming up with a software and she's going through funding right now. And she was in Silicon Valley a few weeks ago and she said, Margot, every time we approach someone, they talk to him and they ignored me. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and the guy said to him, no, she's the CEO. She's the brains behind this. I'm just the marketing guy. And she talks about what it's like to do that. And I mean, like when she's doing that, going through that right now in Santiago, it's so, it's, guys, she's so inspiring. You're just going to love her. Yeah. And you guys remember when we talked to um, Kat Lincoln, the, yes, from Clever, and she talked about getting cupcaked mm-hmm. when they were looking mm-hmm. for funding. And um, what's interesting is uh, Kat and Kyle and I all worked together at AOL once upon a time. And we always joked about being the the girl blogger mafia. So it's really <laughs> just from like that side, it's really neat to see what those women have done because it's just like, and it's just like, holy cow. Like, yeah, we, we talked about taking over and um, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Take over the world. <laughs> you do you, boo. You do you. You do you guys. You do you. And if you feel like subscribing to the show, we would love that. That way you'll never miss an episode. And if you, especially if you get your podcast through Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and a few stars. We'll read all the five-star reviews on the air. And please, any comments or suggestions, especially guest ideas or subject ideas, email us at podcast at fitboundgirls.com. And let's get right into our interview today with Kyle Hepp. Remember, this episode is sponsored by Love My Skivvies, a monthly subscription service for undies that we absolutely adore. Ladies, you got to check them out at lovemyskivvies.com. Okay, that's L-U-V-M-Y-S-K-I-V-V-I-E-S dot com. And for being a listener, you can even save 25% off your first month. Just enter the code FBG, that's for Fit Bottom Girls, FBG at checkout, and you're good to go. Again, that's lovemyskivvies.com, L-U-V-M-Y-S-K-I-V-V-I-E-S.com. Kyle Hepp is a serial entrepreneur who's claimed that she's never had a real job. She started her career as a wedding photographer in Chile, 100% self-taught, and soon became one of the top photographers in Latin America and well-known throughout the world, shooting weddings from Croatia to Brazil to New Zealand. She became an obsessive CrossFitter and placed top 10 in Chile's female CrossFitting ranking several years in a row before deciding to open her own gym there. In December of last year, she sold that gym and she and her boyfriend and baby daddy are working on a new project, gym management software, and they are seeking funding for it right now. She is also author of the book, The Maternal Instinct Myth. Welcome to the show, Kyle Hepp. Thank you. Well, thank you for being on the show today. This is FBG Margo, and on the line today, we have FBG Kristen. Hey. And we're just going to dive right into this interview right now. Your current business as a badass entrepreneur and world traveler, I mean, how on earth did you get into this line of work, and what is an average day for you like in Santiago, Chile? Well, I actually have two businesses, so I am an international wedding photographer. I shoot weddings all over the world, and then... I used to own a gym, which I sold back in December, and through the gym, my boyfriend and I actually started a software for a gym management software. So um, those are kinds of my two lines of work at this time. 
And I am also writing a book called The Maternal Instinct Myth about my experience as a mother. So I guess a current day for me normally is I wake up about 7.30. I try to get up like two, two and a half hours before my baby gets up. And I write because I find that I can only write well early in the mornings and with no other distractions. You know, a little kid screaming in your ear isn't conducive to creative thoughts. So I work on my book in the morning. And then when she gets up, uh, I like to give her breakfast and then take her out to the park, take her to the museum, go do fun, intellectually stimulating things for a child as, as much as you can with a one and a half year old. Um, my boyfriend and I both work from home, so we basically do a job of juggling the baby in between both of us working on the businesses. And right now, we are actually raising funding. Oh, I just cracked something off my chair here. Oops. We are actually raising a round of funding for our startup. So a lot of typical days, I mean, there is no such thing really as a typical day, but in a normal day, we often will get a babysitter in the afternoon when our, our little girl's sleeping, and then we head out and we go to investor meetings and do a lot of pitches. So my boyfriend is the developer. He's the one who invented the entire software, and I am the marketer and the face of the business. So it's up to me to do all of these pitches, to put on my big girl pants and, and go out and pitch to all of these million dollar people and, and try to get them to give us money. So it's been interesting. I was not part of the startup world before this and it's been uh, a steep learning curve, but it's been fun. Awesome. So, uh, you know, with that, I think you've been pretty candid on social about um, some of the pitch competitions that you've been to and um, some of the different experiences you've had, both good and bad. And in particular, as a woman in that realm, because the, you know, the startup space is heavily, um, heavily populated by men. So I wonder, yeah, so what advice do you have for women who are looking to enter the entrepreneurial space? And kind of as a follow-up to that, does that advice change at all for someone who is, like you, a new mom? Well, I'm actually really glad that you're asking that question because uh, even right now when I was saying, when I said trying to pitch to all these million-dollar, I said million-dollar people, I stopped myself from saying million dollar men, but yeah, it is 99.99999% million dollar men. I've done one pitch to a woman. And as far as, so that's the investor world. The investors are almost always men. And then the startup world is also usually composed of all other businesses with male founders. So that has been a challenge. And like you said, I've had some good experiences, but I've also had some really terrible experiences where even though I am the, the person up on stage doing the pitch and the one with all of the, the business knowledge, I'll have a male investor just talk straight over me, interrupt me completely, mm -hmm. and then look at my boyfriend who is usually sitting off on the sidelines somewhere in the front row while I'm pitching and ask him all the questions and let him speak. And it's very frustrating. And I want to shout at these people like, let me talk to you. Do not even understand how sexist you're being. But you know, that doesn't uh, raise your odds of getting a million dollars in funding if you do that, if you start arguing with people. <laughs> so I yeah. try not. But I guess my advice for women would just be to try to use your femininity to your advantage. So when I go to all of these pitch competitions and, and all of these investor meetings and everything, I go full out, you know, bright red lipstick. And I always try to dress as, as pretty as possible, you know, because I think that while some people are kind of put off by a female founder, a female co-founder, it is very easy for them to remember. So like it or not, you know, you will 
have in your mind like okay in this group of 100 guys who stands out definitely the the one female who did a pitch you know so I also try to play that up and there's actually tons of government funding and grants and things that you can get if you are a female founder um, I mean here in Chile but also we've looked into in Puerto Rico and the United States all over the place because there are a lot of programs out there trying to kind of uh, bridge this inequality between men and women co-founders and they also say that women tend, when they pitch, uh, women-founded startups get, I can't remember what percentage, but it's a significant amount less than what men get in investments. And so I actually, I talk about that a lot of times in my pitch because I want people to be aware. You know, I think sometimes if you just kind of confront the bias head on, it makes people sit up a little bit in their seats and think about it and then hopefully listen to me on a different level. And instead of just listening with all of their internalized biases in their heads of, okay, it's a woman-founded startup, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to invest. Hopefully when I am saying something like telling them these stats about women getting less money and um, male investors ask female co-founders leading questions that are, are like defensive questions, I guess is how you would call them. So they would say to me, what are you going to do to prevent competition? This startup could be easily, easily copied. Whereas to a male co-founder, they'll say to him like, and what projected growth do you have for the year of 2017? And so, like, it, it, you know, it takes you down a totally different path if you're trying to, if you're constantly on the defensive trying to defend your company. So I kind of talk about some of these things in, in my pitch in, in hopes that they'll check themselves when they think about what questions they're asking me and when they think about whether they would like to invest in our company or not. Because I think if you really just confront, confront the biases head on, it helps. So like a lot of people who teach fitness, either part-time or full-time, I've often had the dream of opening my own gym. And it's something you've done and then you've closed. I'd love to hear what you think are the pros and cons of doing such a thing and what are things you should look out for if you are dreaming of that. I loved owning my CrossFit gym. So I guess I'll give a little backstory to that. Here in Chile, CrossFit was kind of on the rise a few years ago. It was about four years ago when I opened up the gym, uh, a little more than that. CrossFit was just arriving to Chile. So it was starting to become a thing, but it wasn't really a thing yet. And I met an investor in New York and we actually, we were on a, out on a date and I kept talking to him about CrossFit, CrossFit, CrossFit and how kind of hostile the world, the CrossFit world really is to women. And he said to me, well, why don't you open up a gym and, and do something about that? And I, you know, I was like, well, where am I ever going to get $50,000 to open up a gym? And he offered up the money very generously. I mean, obviously, it was an investor agreement, so we signed a contract and everything. So I opened the gym, and in the beginning, it was a huge struggle. You know, you think, like, you look at a gym, you look at someone else's gym and think, I could do it better. Mm -hmm. I could always do it better. But then when reality hits and, you know, you have to pay the rent and pay the coaches and manage the people, and it's... I think the biggest challenge was just getting really bogged down in day to day of running a gym and instead of being able to actually advance your business, move your business forward. So it was very hard to work on proactive things for the business rather than just be constantly reacting, you know, to, to coach crises and things like that. Sorry if you can hear Eyeless. That's okay. In the That's back. okay. All right. They're on their way out the door. Get me bread. Get me all the carbs. I'm PMSing. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So I think that it was a fun experience. It was not what I expected when I thought about myself as a gym owner. You know, I, I had grandiose ideas in my head for how I would be able to expand and things like that. And then 
the reality was just much, much slower because the day-to-days of operating a gym are very intense. It is a labor-intensive business for sure. And when you first start out, I mean, in Chile, they have an expression called a one-man circus. I don't know if they have that expression in English, but when you first start out, you are a one-man show. You know, I'm cleaning the bathrooms and I'm answering the phones and I'm answering the emails and I'm coaching classes when the coach is late and, you know, the list just goes on and on and on. And so your day just doesn't stop. And then you sit down at the end of the day and you're like, well, I wanted to launch this program for postpartum moms or I wanted to, you know, um, go to this women's expo and things like that. And you just don't get to them because you're so bogged down in the day to day. So I think it was a lot more intense than what I thought it would be. But that being said, it was a wonderful experience. And I was really, really happy. I sold my gym to an actual member of the gym to a couple. And so I know that the gym went to the best of hands and it's still up and running and what I created still exists. My baby still lives on. So it was, it's cool to see that it's continuing to grow. So we've only been talking for, you know, 10 minutes now and already we've talked about several different, um, like major paths that you have taken with your career. So I'm, I'm just curious, like what's, (laughs) I don't even know if you can answer this, but what's the most surprising turn your career or even really your life has taken to this point? Oh, I can answer that for sure. The baby, that was 100% not planned. And I never thought that I wanted to be a mom. Actually, Kristen, I think you and I bonded over this back in the day. I think so, yes. I was pretty set on my childless path. And I just, you know, you, you look at yourself and you can imagine all of these things for yourself. I could imagine myself owning a gym, expanding the gym, being the owner of a gym franchise or a chain of gyms, you know, imagine myself teaching photography and doing more photography conferences and, and all my, my dreams and aspirations were much more related to either travel or career. And then I met my boyfriend and we started the software and made a baby at the same time accidentally. So it was a little shocking to me, but I mean, in the end, I think when, you know, we sat down and and decided to have the baby, I think that is one of the best decisions that I've ever made. And I don't at all feel the way so many moms will say, like, I feel this overwhelming love. It's the biggest love that I could have ever known. I feel like saying something like that is offensive to non-moms. And I think also offensive to people who are just maybe good at loving very fully because I love my daughter in an insane way, but I also, I love my partner in an insane way. I love my mom in an insane way. I'm not saying that giant love extends to everybody that I know, but I definitely, I love a few people in my life very intensely and she is one of them, but I don't feel that that like love for a child, it's a, it's obviously, you know, it's, there are different kinds of love. You love your boyfriend different than you love your mom and you love your child different than you love your boyfriend. But um, it's still the same intensity of love that I feel. And so I think that that was probably the most surprising thing about having a child to me was that it, it wasn't as much of a life-changing experience as I thought it would be. You know, you, you think like, okay, I'm going to have a baby. This is going to change everything. And the logistics have been like pretty easy to manage. I mean, we only have one kid. We're only ever having one kid. Knock on wood, we learned our mistake from the first whoops. But yeah, I think that, you know, the logistics didn't change that much. And my feelings of, of big love are big for her and big for everybody. And, and that like emotionally, I don't feel like I've changed that much either. So I think that that was a very pleasant surprise to me to feel like, okay, I had this kid and I can still maintain who I am. So 
that actually leads me to another question, Margo. Sorry, I'm stepping on your toes here a little bit. Last year, Kyle, you shared an experience on Instagram that went pretty viral. We were in, if I recall correctly, the immigration line in Fort Lauderdale with Isla, and she needed to eat. And there was another woman in line who um, made a made a comment pretty loudly about the fact that you were feeding her out in the open. And you responded online. And I know that that it really stirred the pot because you had a lot of people who were like, hell yes, Kyle, get her. And then you had people who were like, no, that woman totally had a point. So I wonder if you would be willing to to just talk a little bit about that experience, what it was like to be in that line, feeding a child in a way that you were trying to feel comfortable doing, and then kind of dealing with, with the response to your response. Yeah, it was like four or five in the morning and I had just flown overnight on a budget airline from Lima to Fort Lauderdale, six hours with a baby in my arms. That was a miserable experience. I was tired, cranky, and Isla was also tired and cranky. And we were standing, the immigration line was super long. It was like an hour and a half. I don't know if you've ever done international immigration into Fort Lauderdale, but that airport is, is just, it's too small to be an international airport. So there was a huge line and the air conditioning, I don't know if it was broken or just doesn't work very well, but it was super hot in there as well. And so when Isla started fussing, I just, I didn't even think about it. I just whipped her out and put her on my boob. And a lady in like a row over said it was, you know how immigration lines, they're always kind of just like awkwardly quiet. Everyone's super super quiet. Well, there was not a word. No one was saying anything in the entire room. And this lady just says in the loudest voice that she can, like, there's a woman breastfeeding her baby and she's not even trying to cover her boob up. And I just got so beat red because, you know, For as much as you want to be like pro breastfeeding and pro boobs out everywhere, it's still your boobs. You still feel weird about it. Like that feeling never fully went away for me, you know? So I was like, okay, I mean, I'm already feeling awkward, but now the entire line of like 300 people is just going to be sitting here looking at my boob. Um, And I think I responded something to her, but I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't in a very good position to like give her an actual piece of my mind, you know, afterwards, a million things went through my head that I thought like I should have said. And then I posted about it on Instagram, and like you said, some of the responses were very positive, but then there were other people that were like, you just want to get your boobs out everywhere, you're just showing off, but it's like, you know what I've realized as a mom, it's just, to me, it's it's really insane how society, they push this breastfeeding narrative on mothers, like, breast is best, and don't give your child formula, formula is the devil, you know, like, the pressure amongst moms to not give your baby formula. It's just insane. You know, like people wear it with a badge of honor. Like how long did you breastfeed your baby until he was 21? You know, like it's such a (laughs) honor to act like you want to breastfeed your kid until he's off to college or whatever. And at the same time, society does not in any way, shape or form support women breastfeeding their children in public. So it's like, you, you know, you run this whole narrative of how formula is so bad for kids and breastfed kids have, you know, slightly higher IDs and better immune systems and this and that and yada, yada, yada. But then at the same time, you're standing in an immigration line in an airport in the United States of America, and there's not a fast track lanes for mothers or for pregnant women or anything like that. Like in every Latin American country that exists, a mom or a pregnant woman can get through the immigration in five minutes flat, and then she can be out on the other side. And then yes, then she can go into a bathroom or a breastfeeding room or somewhere and breastfeed her kid, you know, in, in, the privacy of wherever she can find. But, you know, I'm not going to get out of a two and a half hour line and be in the bathroom another half an hour to breastfeed my baby. It just, it's not common sense, you know? So 
regardless of what people want to say, like on the moral standpoint, like, you know what, my baby's hungry and it's hot as balls in this immigration room. So she's not going to let me even cover her up. So I'm sorry. That's just the way it is. Well, we're talking about it like another big love life experience. It's weddings and you're a wedding photographer. And I was really into the wedding world for a while there because I worked at Modern Bride magazine. So I, oh, cool. yeah, yeah. So I kind of know it pretty well. So, I mean, what do you enjoy most about working with couples on their special day? Oh, I love, 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 love seeing family dynamics. I think that it is so interesting. If I could go back in another life, I feel like I would want to be either a, like a psychiatrist or a psychologist or an anthropologist or something dealing with like the psyche of human beings, but also the, the culture the traditions of people in different countries and things like that. And I think like, you know, you see the dynamics from culture to culture are just so different within families. And so I think as a photographer, this serves me really well, but I very much like to observe. And, you know, I used to have um, a blog where I would write all the time. Now I just mostly do it on Instagram. But uh, I think I used to like to observe and write, and then that morphed into observe and take photos of it. But I just think it is fascinating to be at a wedding and you know in in some cultures you'll see like the parents they kind of they sit back they they are more of a like a spectator in the whole weddings you know in in u.s weddings like the weddings have become this whole thing with bridesmaids and whatnot and it, it's not so much like the parents aren't the the primary people because i think a lot of times in the u.s more and more couples are paying for their own weddings mm-hmm. um but when you come to chile for example the mother of the bride is, to me, she's what like a bride is in other cultures. You know, the mother of the brides here in Chile, I mean, they're batshit crazy. <laughs> but uh, it's just interesting to me because as the parents, so they, I think here they pay for the weddings and then they feel like I hired the photographer. I hired the caterer. I hired the DJ. I get to do what I want. I get my music. I get my photos. And so... The day is like here, the day is so much less about the couple than what it is in the US. And I mean, obviously, I've shot like very few um, Indian weddings, but I have done a few here in Chile and in other countries as well. And the dynamic, you know, totally changes with Indian families or, um, you know, you just, you see like in Europe as well, the dynamic changes. So I think that that's just to me the most interesting thing is just observing families and how how extreme the emotions are on a wedding day. I think you see kind of like a normal family dynamic just intensified to the nth degree. And so it's just really fun to to capture and to witness that. And I obviously, as a photographer, I'm with the couple all day long, so you get to know them. And, and I try to be a supportive role as well for them if they're having family problems. But at the same time, sometimes when I'm watching like, you know, the mom the mother of the bride fight with the mother of the groom and this and that. And I'm like, Oh, I just want to take photos of all of this. This is fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably not what they want for their, um, for their album yeah. though, I guess, <laughs> you know? So with traveling all over the world to take, uh, to take all these pictures, what's been the most amazing location you have, you've gone to, to shoot a wedding? Oh, Croatia. I am yeah? with Croatia. Yeah. So I actually, at that time, I had booked a wedding in, so it was Dubrovnik, Croatia, and then I had a wedding in France, and then a wedding in Spain. And so I went and shot the wedding in Croatia, and I was thinking of doing a road trip in France um, to Spain or something like that, and in between those other two weddings, and I actually went back to Croatia in between 
the France. So I went, shot the wedding in Croatia, shot the wedding in France, and then went back to Croatia before going to do the Spain wedding because I just loved that country. I thought it was so beautiful and so it had such a, a unique feel to it. It was, it was amazing. I loved it. So are there any destinations out there that are on your bucket list? Like where haven't you been that you're dying to go? I'm dying to go to Africa. I would love to do a safari. And a ton of my couples have actually honeymooned in in Zanzibar, Mm. which looks amazing as well, beautiful. But, I mean, as you can imagine, flights from Chile to Africa are not very common or very cheap. So I think that's for when we become millionaires, when we sell our startup for $10 million and (laughs) go celebrate. So you have been traveling all over the world and living in Santiago for years and years now after. And what's funny is, um, so Kyle and I, we met online um, because we were both working together. We met when she was living in Santiago, but we had both lived in Michigan at the same time and both lived in Florida at the same time. So you, you know, but you have really just been everywhere. And so I'm wondering what feels most like home to you? Like, do different places feel like home? Is it more about who you're with? Is home still Michigan? Is it with your mom? What What feels like home to you? Oh, that is the hardest question anybody has ever asked me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that's okay. Um, so when I go to Michigan, it's familiar, but I wouldn't say that it feels like home. You know, I'm not close friends with anybody really in Michigan. So I see my mom and my brother and my niece, and that's wonderful, but... My mom, she doesn't live in my childhood home anymore and everything. When I lived in, I'm from a town called Granville, Michigan. And when I lived there, there was a population of 9,000 people. And now there's a population of like 25,000 or something. And there's a mall and all these restaurants. And also Grand Rapids is close by. And Grand Rapids is turned into like the beer city. And it's actually really amazing. And hipster coffee. And, you know, it's, it's gotten all kinds of wonderful additions to the city. So when I go back there, I actually feel like it's very different from what it was. But at the same time, you know, it always holds that sense of familiarity because of the family roots that I have there. And Santiago, for the longest time, I resisted calling this place home. I, I didn't like Santiago, but I didn't realize that what I didn't, what I disliked about Chile, I think, was more just unhappiness with my situation and the relationship that I was in. I mean, when you and I met back in the day, that was when we were both writing as, as professional bloggers. And I enjoyed writing but I still I wasn't getting to write the kinds of articles that I wanted to write and I just wasn't sure what I wanted to do with my life and and obviously I divorced the Chilean that I was with now or with them so I think that more of my unhappiness with Chile was just to do with my actual situation mm-hmm. and now that I'm in a good relationship I will also say that the, the city of Santiago has evolved so much in the past five years they have started receiving so many immigrants actually from Haiti, from Colombia, from Venezuela, but there's just been this huge influx because Chile has a super stable economy at the moment. And so they've been receiving immigrants from around the world. And it's been wonderful because with all of these immigrants have, have come, you know, better food, better customer service, better nightlife, each, each culture, you know, I think when you become an expat somewhere, you kind of retain what you loved about your home culture and you bring it with you to the place that you're living. And so I see all of these expats here are just bringing so many wonderful things to the city of Santiago, and it's just really evolved. And so I think more and more I can see myself being here more long-term, and it feels more like home. But that being said, the city that I think I, I legitimately most feel at home in is probably New York City because I photographed so many weddings there over the years. And back before I had Isla, I used to spend probably – six or seven months on the road shooting weddings every year. And then of those six or seven months, it would be coming back to New York as a home base. So 
probably like three or four months in New York City as a base. And so I just love New York City. I would love to live there. I would love to raise Isla there. But that being said, I think that the standard of living that we have here would be pretty damn hard to replicate in New York City. So don't know that that will happen. Was it hard to start that business? Because I know it's pretty competitive, the the photography business, especially for weddings. Yeah, you know, I actually had a very um, kind of an interesting interesting start since I was here in Chile. When I first started doing wedding photography, there the market here was not developed whatsoever. And a girl actually contacted me because of some hobbyist photos that I had put on my blog. And she asked me to shoot her wedding. And I resisted. I didn't want to because I didn't want that pressure. And I told her, like, listen, I'm not a professional photographer. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't think I should shoot your wedding. And she insisted. She said, there's no other photographer in Chile that I like. So if I hire you, you know, you'll get a few good photos. That'll be better than nothing. So please come shoot my wedding. And I charged her more or less um, $1,000. That's roughly what the exchange rate would equal out to. And I thought that was like a super discounted price because in the U.S., you know, that's what a really bargain photographer would go to, like $800 to $1,000. So, you know, I thought that I was giving her like a new photographer price. Turns out that price that I was charging at the time was put me immediately as the most expensive photographer in Chile. So uh, without (laughs) ever shot a wedding before. So I shot her wedding and one other girl's wedding at that price and published those weddings on my personal blog. And the next year I booked 15 weddings off of those two weddings. And I really equate like part of the reason why people caught on and started hiring me so quickly was not just the photos, but it was more of people thinking like, well, if she's the most expensive, she must be the best. And at the time, I didn't even know that I was the most expensive, you know, but I also I quickly professionalized and got an actual website and got a hosting plan so I could deliver people's photos online and and had a contract and, and just did a lot of things that other photographers here weren't doing. And so my business here expanded so, so rapidly that it wasn't um, hard to within, you know, two or three years to be the most uh, well-known photographer in Chile. And so from there, I think that kind of made it easy for people abroad to justify the cost of flying me in. And obviously at this time I wasn't charging a thousand dollars per wedding. I was much more expensive, but they could justify the cost because to them it was like, well, we're getting the best photographer in the entire country of Chile, you know? And so it also, adds a ring of novelty to someone who's in New York City and they're looking at all a sea of other amazing photographers. And so kind of the distinguishing factor is like, well, our photographer is coming all the way from Chile. That's pretty fucking amazing. Oops, sorry. I don't know if you can swear in here. You totally can. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) I've been like really trying to watch my language. (laughs) Um, No, you're good. (laughs) But anyways, I think that was kind of why I was able to rise up in the ranks so quickly was just knowing how to market myself in a way to really like play up the fact that I had had gotten so quickly to become the the most well-known photographer in Chile. I want to talk a little bit about something that is, um, that's pretty new, which is your book that you're working on. And you say that it's not a, what is it? It's not a how-to for working mothers and it's not an ode to the joy of motherhood. It's about permission. So could you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, even just going back to the the breastfeeding incident, I understand if there are other women who feel less confident or feel like the right thing to do is to cover their own boobs up when they breastfeed in the immigration line in Fort Lauderdale Airport. And so to them, like, hats off, good for you, you do you. 
and feel good about your choices. I just, I think there's so much pressure on motherhood. Like the pro breastfeeding camp wants to demonize formula. And then the moms who have given their, their children formula want to be able to say like, listen, it's, it's totally fine. My kid could still be the president of the United States, even though he never had titty juice, you know? So I think that it's, it's like, it feels like constant mom war, you know, as to what you should do for your child. And I just, in, in the book, I feel like I write about my own experiences, but at the same time, my own experiences also have been pretty unconventional. And so I hope that through, through my, through what I'm writing and through just the, the way that I am trying to kind of lay out the choices that moms have, that people feel like they know their own child best. They can do whatever's best for their kid, and and hopefully they will be supported by other moms, regardless. Kyle, is there anything else that you're you're interested in talking about that we haven't touched on? Well, I mean, I guess just since we're here, since we're chatting, yeah, um, let's chat. One of the things that I think has been also very interesting about my motherhood experience also has a lot to do with my choice of partners. And he is a stay-at-home dad and a stay-at-home worker as well. You know, we're both in the house and, and he 100% does his 50% of the share of child raising and housework and, and even, you know, what the emotional labor, you know, that's been making the rounds on the internet lately. But he really does his half of everything. And I feel in large part, like part of the reason why I have been able to manage a photography business and a gym and a software company and a newborn baby all at the same time or because I've been with him. And I think there's also kind of like this hesitancy in the feminist world to say like, well, some of my successes have been because of my boyfriend. Whereas, you know, for a man, it's so uh, normal to say like, well, I've got my wife behind me, but it, it feel it still feels kind of weird to say like, well, I've got my boyfriend behind me. But I just actually was reading up a little bit about Ruth Ginsbader and how her husband supported her career and how he was the one who took the initiative to stay home with the kids for a while. Well, I can't remember if she actually was getting her law degree at the time or she had just started practicing or whatever, but he took the initiative to go to be a stay-at-home dad for a while. And I think that it's still taboo in this day and age to even to be able to say like, part of why I can be a strong woman is because I have a strong man behind me. You know, just saying that, it sounds strange. But I think that it is important to acknowledge and, and hopefully important to encourage as well in other women to not be afraid to ask that from their boyfriends or from their husbands or partners. Do you think that that's more difficult or easier um, given where you are? Because I feel like sort of the understanding from over here stateside is that Chile is not necessarily a super feminist area, but I could be totally wrong. Oh no, you are you are one hundred percent, a thousand percent correct. I um, love hearing that. That's recorded, yeah. right, Margot? I can play that over and over. <laughs> Absolutely, on yeah, a loop. Latin America is uh, not a feminist hotspot for sure. Um, and I think that on one hand, it's definitely harder. You know, like his friends give him shit. People do give him shit. He was raised in a very feminist family that's way ahead of their time, raised by all women. So he just naturally, like, he doesn't do even do it consciously. It's just what he does. But um, he does get shit from from people in society in general. Uh, that being said, he also is just like treated like God of the playground when he goes out with Isla, you know, especially when 
she was little and, and he would wear her, people would stop him on the street and people would like multiple times even ask to take pictures with him because he was wearing a baby. Wow. You're so, kidding. yeah, the bar is pretty damn low. I was going to say, so in Brooklyn, one, you see that every day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's totally normal in, in Brooklyn. I actually, in Brooklyn, I was like, can I get my boob out here? Yeah, of course. Of I course can. you could, yes. Like, everybody's. But so I think, you know, on one hand, he does have, he probably gets more shit than what a guy in the U.S. would get for this, for his lifestyle. But on the other hand, he also probably gets way more applause for doing it. So so it's a... Um, catch 22 in that sense but i don't he doesn't really care either way so where can everybody find you can you give us your call outs my personal instagram is kyle hep k-y-l-e-h-e-p-p and my photography instagram is kyle hep photography k-y-l-e-h-e-p-p-p-h-o-t-o-g-r-a-p-h-y and you can also find me on my website which is kind of woefully not updated but it's kylehep.com and there's a link there to my book, The Maternal Instinct Myth, as well. And then we have one more question for you. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Kyle, what was the last song you listened to that you remember, anyway, before you did this podcast interview? Oh, uh, it would definitely be reggaeton. Um, I'm going to most likely guess Mi Gente by J Balvin because my daughter loves that song and she loves to dance to it. So... That's often how we start our mornings. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's that fun. Is. She unfortunately inherited my Gringo rhythm. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm hoping that if we live in Chile for long enough, it can be corrected. Seems likely. Absolutely. So, and you know what, Kyle? I have one last question for you. Mm-hmm. And that's just a nosy one. Is Because you have been speaking in English and in Spanish for so long, what, what comes out naturally? Like, what, what do you dream in? What do you think in? So it all just depends on who I'm talking to, I guess. But actually, that was, I don't know if you guys realized, but in the beginning, when we started this interview, I was kind of like stuttering because I had been in the house talking to my boyfriend. I mean, I talked to my daughter, but she, I talked to her in English, but she still doesn't talk back yet. So it's not the same as having a legit adult conversation just quite yet. But really, I mean, if I'm with a group of gringas and then I have to like suddenly switch over to Spanish, the Spanish comes out slow and stilted. But if I'm speaking in Spanish and then I have to switch over to English like this in in the middle of my day where I'm normally speaking Spanish is like, uh, 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 I forget how to speak English too. So I would say, unfortunately, I am not fluent in either language, but kind of a little bit fluent in both. (laughs) Well, it gets you through, right? Yeah, right. As long as I can communicate it, it's fine. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. It was really fun talking to you. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I enjoyed it. Being on the hotspot, man. Love this show? Tell us why in a five-star review on iTunes, and we'll read it on the air. Also, make sure you are a subscriber. If you want to reach out to say hi or have a question about a recent episode, yay, well, feel free to email us at podcast at fitfoundgirls.com. And if this podcast jives perfectly with your brand, consider sponsoring the show. Get more info by emailing advertising at fitbottomgirls.com. Find all kinds of Fit Bottom goodness online and on social media at Fit Bottom Girls, Fit Bottom Mamas, Fit Bottom Eats, and Fit Bottom Zen. And if books and movies are your thing, check out the other podcast I co-host called Book vs. Movie, which you can find anywhere where you search for podcasts. Thanks for listening.